The Autobiography of Madame Guion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Autobiography of Madame Guion by Jean Guion. Volume 2, Chapter 17 a poor girl of very great simplicity who earned her livelihood by her labor and was inwardly favored of the lord came all sorrowful to me and said o oh, my mother what strange things have i seen i asked what they were alas said she i have seen you like a lamb in the midst of a vast troop of furious wolves i have seen a frightful multitude of people of all ranks and robes of all ages sexes and conditions priests friars married men maids and wives with pikes harpers and drawn swords all eager for your instant destruction you let them alone without staring or being surprised and without offering any way to defend yourself i looked on all sides to see whether any one would come to assist and defend you but i saw not one some days after those who through envy were raising private batteries against me broke forth libels began to spread envious people wrote against me without knowing me they said that i was a sorceress that it was by a magic power i attracted souls that everything in me was diabolical that if i did charities it was because i coined and put off false money with many other cross accusations equally false groundless and absurd as the tempest increased every day some of my friends advised me to withdraw but before i mention my leaving grenoble i must say something farther of my state while here it seemed to me that all our lord made me do for souls would be in union with jesus christ in this divine union my words had wonderfully effect even the formation of jesus christ in the souls of others i was in no wise able of myself to say the things i said he conducted me made me say what he pleased and as long as he pleased to some I was not permitted to speak a word, and to others there flowed forth as it were a deluge of grace, yet this pure love admitted not of any superfluity or a means of empty amusement. When questions were asked to which an answer was useless, it was not given me. It was the same in regard to such as our Lord was pleased to conduct, through death to themselves and who came to seek for human consolation 
I had nothing for them but what was purely necessary and could proceed no farther. I could at least only speak of indifferent things in such liberty as God allows in order to suit everyone and not to be unsociable or disagreeable to any. But for his own word, he himself is the dispenser of it. Oh, if preachers were duly careful to speak only in that spirit, what fruits would they bring forth in the lives of the hearers? With my true children, I could communicate best in silence, in the spiritual language of the divine word. I had the consolation some time before to hear one read in says Augustine a conversation he had with his mother. He complains of the necessity of returning from that heavenly language to words. I sometimes said, O oh my love, give me hearts large enough to receive and contain the fullness bestowed on me. After this manner, when the Holy Virgin approached Elizabeth, a wonderful commerce was maintained between Jesus Christ and St. John the Baptist, who after this manifested no eagerness to come to see Christ, but was drawn to retire into the desert to receive the like communications with the greatest plenitude. When he came forth to preach repentance, he said, not that he was the word, but only a voice which was sent to make way or open a passage into the hearts of the people for Christ the word. He baptized only with water, for that was his function, for as the water in running off leaves nothing, so does the voice when it is passed. But the word baptized with the Holy Ghost, because he imprinted himself on souls and communicated with them by that Holy Spirit. It is not observed that Jesus Christ said anything during the whole obscure part of his life, though it is true that not any of his words shall be lost. O love, if all thou hast said and operated in silence were to be written, I think the whole word could not contain the books that should be written. John twenty-one, twenty-five. All that I experienced was shown in me in the Holy Scripture. I saw with admiration that there passed nothing within my soul which was not in Jesus Christ and in the Holy Scriptures. I must pass over many things in silence because they cannot be expressed. If they were expressed, they could not be understood or comprehended. I often felt much for Father Lacombe who was not yet fixed in his state of interior death, but often rose and fell into alternatives. I was made sensible that Father Lacombe was a vessel 
of election whom god had chosen to carry his name among the gentiles and that he would show him how much he must suffer for that name a carnal world judges carnally them and imputes to human attachment what is from the purest grace if this union by any deviation be broken the more pure and perfect it is the more painfully will it be felt the separation of the soul from god by sin being worse than that from the body of death for myself i may say i had a continual dependence on god in every state my soul was ever willing to obey every motion of his spirit i thought there could not be anything in the world which he could require from me to which i would not give myself up readily and with pleasure i had no interest at all for myself when god requires anything from this wretched nothing i find no resistance left in me to do his will however rigorous it may appear if there is a heart in the world of which thou art the sole and absolute master mine seems to be one of that sort thy will however rigorous is its life and its pleasure to resume the thread of my story the bishop of grenoble's almoner persuaded me to go for some time to marseilles to let the storm pass over he told me that i would be well received there its being his native soil and that many people of merit were there i wrote to father lacombe for his consent he readily gave it i might have gone to versailles for the bishop of versailles had written me very obliging letters earnestly pressing me to come but a human respect and fear of affording a handle to my enemies gave me an extreme aversion thereto beside the above the marchioness of prunay who since my departure from her had been more enlightened by her own experience having met with a part of the things which i thought would befall her had conceived for me a very strong friendship an intimate union of spirit in such a manner that no two sisters could be more united than we she was extremely desirous that i would return to her as i had formerly promised her but i could not resolve upon this lest it should be thought that i was gone after father lacombe there had been no room given to anybody to accuse me of any indirect attachment to him for when it depended on myself not to continue with him i did not do it the bishop of geneva had not failed to write against me to grenoble as he had done to other places his nephew had gone from house to house 
to cry me down. All this was indifferent to me, and I did not cease to do to his diocese all the good in my power. I even wrote to him in a respectful manner, but his heart was too much closed to yield to anything. Before I left Grenoble, that good girl I have spoken of came to me weeping and told me that I was going and that I hid it from her because I would have nobody know it but that the devil would be before me in all the places I should go to that I was going to a town where I would scarce be arrived before he would stir up the whole town against me and would do me all the harm he possibly could what had obliged me to conceal my departure was my fear of being loaded with visits and testimonies of friendship from a number of good persons who had a very great affection for me i embarked then upon the phone with my maid and a young woman of Grenoble, whom the Lord had highly favored through my means. The bishop of Grenoble's almoner also accompanied me with another very worthy ecclesiastic. We met with many alarming accidents and wonderful preservations, but those instant dangers which affrighted others, far from alarming me, augmented my peace. The bishop of Grenoble's almoner was much astonished. He was in a desperate fright when the boat struck against a rock and opened at the stroke. In his emotion, looking attentively at me, he observed that I did not change my countenance or move my eyebrows. Retaining all my tranquillity, I did not so much as feel the first emotions of surprise, which are natural to everybody on those occasions, as they depend not on ourselves. What caused my peace in such dangers as terrify others was my resignation to God, and death, is much more agreeable to me than life, if such were his will, to which I desire to be ever patiently submissive. A man of quality, a servant of God, and one of my intimate friends, had given me a letter for a knight of Malta, who was very devout, and whom I have esteemed, since I have known him as a man whom our Lord designed to serve the order of Malta greatly and to be its ornament and support by his holy life. I had told him that I thought he should go thither and that God would assuredly make use of him to diffuse the spirit of piety into many of the knights. He was actually gone to Malta where the first places were soon given him. This man of quality sent him my little book of prayer printed at Grenoble. He had a chaplain 
very averse to the spiritual path. He took this book, and, condemning it at once, went to stir up a part of the town, and among the rest a set of men who called themselves the twenty-two disciples of St. Cyran. I arrived at Marseille at ten o'clock in the morning, and that very afternoon all was in a noise against me. Some went to speak to the bishop, telling him that, on account of that book, it was necessary to punish me from the city. They gave him the book which he examined with one of his prepends. He liked it well. He sent for Monsieur Malaval and the father Recollect, who he knew had come to see me a little after my arrival, to inquire of them from hence that great tumult has its rise, which indeed had no other effect on me than to make me smile, seeing so soon accomplished what that young woman had foretold. Monsieur Malaval and that good father told the bishop what they thought of me, after which he testified much uneasiness at the insult given me. I was obliged to go to see him. He received me with extraordinary respect and begged my excuse for what had happened, desired me to stay at Marseilles and assured me that he would protect me. He even asked where I lodged that he might come to see me. Next day the bishop of Grenoble's almoner went to see him with that other priest who had come with us. The bishop of Marseilles again testified to them his sorrow for the insults given me without any cause, and told them that it was usual with those persons to insult all such as were not of their couple, that they had even insulted himself. They were not content with that. They wrote to me the most offensive letters possible, though at the same time they did not know me. I apprehended that our Lord was beginning in earnest to take from me every place of abode, and those words were renewed in my mind, the foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. In the short time of my stay at Marseilles, I was instrumental in supporting some good souls, and among others an ecclesiastic who till then was unacquainted with me. After having finished his thanksgiving in the church, seeing me go out, he followed me into the house in which I lodged. Then he told me that the Lord had inspired him to address me and to open his inward state to me. He did it with as much simplicity as humility, and the Lord gave him through me all that was necessary for him, from hence he was filled with joy and thankful acknowledgments to God. 
although there were many spiritual persons there and even of his intimate friends he never had been moved to open his mind to any of them he was a servant of god and favored by him with a singular gift of prayer during the eight days i was at marseilles i saw many good souls there through all my persecutions our lord always struck some good stroke of his own right hand and that good ecclesiastic was delivered from an anxiety of mind which had much afflicted him for some years after i had left grenoble those who hated me without knowing me spread libels against me a woman for whom i had great love and whom i had even extricated from an engagement which she had continued in for several years and contributed to her discarding the person to whom she had been attached suffered her mind to resume its fondness for that pernicious engagement she became violently enraged against me for having broken it off although i had freely been at some expense to procure her freedom still she went to the bishop of grenoble to tell him that i had counselled her to do an act of injustice she then went from confessor to confessor repeating the same story to animate them against me as they were too susceptible of the prejudices infused the fire was soon kindled in all quarters there were none but those who knew me and who loved god that took my part they became more closely united to me in sympathy through my persecution it would have been very easy for me to destroy the calumny as well with the bishop of grenoble i need only to tell who the person was and show the fruits of her disorder i could not declare the guilty person without making known at the same time the other who had been her accomplice who now being touched of god was very penitent so i thought it best for me to suffer and be silent there was a very pious man who knew all her history from the beginning to the end of it who wrote to her that if she did not retract her lies he would publish the account of her wicked life to make known both her cross iniquity and my innocence she continued some time in her malice writing that i was a sorceress with many other falsehoods some time after she had such a cruel remorse of conscience on this account that she wrote both to the bishop and others to retract what she had said she induced one to write to me to inform me that she was in despair for what she had done that god had punished her after these recantations the outright abated 
The bishop disabused, and since that time he has testified a great regard for me. This creature had, among other things, said that I caused myself to be worshipped, also other unparalleled follies. From Marseille I knew not how or whither I should turn next. I saw no likelihood either of staying or of returning to Grenoble, where I had left my daughter in a convent. Father Lacombe had written to me that he did not think I ought to go to Paris. I even felt a strong repugnance to the idea of going, which made me think it was not yet the time for it. One morning I felt myself inwardly pressed to go somewhere. I took conveyance to go to see the marchioness of Prunay, which was, I thought, the most honorable refuge for me in my present condition. I thought I might pass through Nice on my way to her habitation, as some had assured me I might. But when I arrived at Nice, I was greatly surprised to learn that the conveyance could not pass the mountain. I knew not what to do, nor which way to turn, alone, forsaken of everybody, and not knowing what God required of me. My confusion and crosses seemed to increase. I saw myself without refuge or retreat, wandering as a vagabond. All the tradesmen whom I saw in their shops appeared to me happy in having a dwelling of their own in which to retire. Nothing in the world seemed harder than this wandering life to me, who naturally loved propriety and decorum. As I was in this uncertainty, not knowing what course to take, one came to tell me that next day a sloop would set off, which used to go in one day to Genoa, and that if I chose it, they would land me at Savona. From hence I might get myself carried to the marchioness of Brunet's house. To that I consented, as I could not be supplied with any other way. I had some joy at embarking on the sea. I said in myself, If I am the dregs of the earth, the scorn and offscarring of nature, I am now going to embark on the element which above all others is the most treacherous, if it be the Lord's pleasure to plunge me in the waves, it shall be mine to perish in them. There came a tempest in a place dangerous for a small boat, and the mariners were some of the wickedest. The irritation of the waves gave a satisfaction to my mind. I pleased myself in thinking that those mutinous billows might probably supply me with the grave. Perhaps I carried a point too far in the pleasure I took at seeing myself beaten 
and bandied by the waves. Those who were with me took notice of my intrepidity, but knew not the cause of it. I asked some little hole of a rock to be placed in, there to live separate from all creatures. I figured to myself that some uninhabited island would have terminated all my disgrace and put me in a condition on infallibly doing thy will. Thou designest me a prison far different from that of the rock, and quite another punishment than that of the uninhabited island. Thou reservest me to be battered by billows more irritated than those of the sea. Calumnies proved to be the unrelenting waves to which I was to be exposed, in order to be lashed and tossed by them without mercy. By the tempest we were kept back, and instead of a short day's passage to Genoa, we were eleven days making it. How peaceable was my heart in so violent an agitation! We could not land at Savona. We were obliged to go on to Genoa. We arrived there in the beginning of the week before Easter. While I was there, I was obliged to bear the insults of the inhabitants caused by the resentment they had against the French because of the havoc of a late bombardment. The Doge was newly gone out of the city and had carried off with him all the coaches. I could not get one, and I was obliged to stay several days at excessive expenses. The people there demanded of us exorbitant sums, and as much for every single person as they would have asked for a company at the best eating place in Paris. I had little money left, but my store in Providence could not be exhausted. I begged with the greatest earnestness for a carriage at any price to pass the feast of Easter at the marchioness of Prunay's house. It was then within three days of Easter. I could scarce any way get myself to be understood. By the force of entreaty, they brought me at length a sorry coach with lame mules and told me that they would take me readily to Versailles, which was only two days' journey, but demanded an enormous sum. They would not engage to take me to the marchioness of Prunay's house, as they knew not where her estate lay. This was to me a strong mortification, for I was very willing to go to Versailles. Nevertheless, the proximity of Easter and want of money in a country where they used every kind of extortion and tyranny left me no choice. I was under an absolute necessity of submitting to be thus conveyed to Versailles. Thus providence led me whither I could not. 
our muleteer was one of the most brutal men and for an increase of my affliction i had sent away to versil the ecclesiastic who accompanied us to prevent their surprise at seeing me there after i had protested against going that ecclesiastic was very coarsely treated on the road through the hatred they bore to the french they made him go part of the way on foot so that though he set off the day before me he arrived there only a few hours sooner than i did as for the fellow who conducted us seeing he had only women under his care he treated us in the most insolent and boorish manner we passed through a wooden infested with robbers the muleteer was afraid and told us that if we met any of them on the road we should be murdered they spared nobody scarcely had he uttered these words when there appeared four men well armed they immediately stopped us the man was exceedingly frightened i made a light bow of my head with a smile for i had no fear and was so entirely resigned to providence that it was all one to die this way or any other in the sea or by the hands of robbers where the dangers were most manifest then was my faith the strongest as well as my intrepidity being unable to wish for anything else than what should fall out whether to be dashed against the rocks drawn or killed in any other way everything in the will of god being equal to me the people who used to convey or attend me said that they had never seen a carriage like mine for the most alarming dangers and the time when death appeared the most certain were those which seemed to please me the most was it not thy pleasure of my god which guarded me in every imminent danger and held me back from rolling down the precipice on the instant of sliding over its dizzy brow the most easy i was about life which i bore only because thou wast pleased to bear it the more care thou tookest to preserve it there seemed a mutual emulation between us on my part to resign and on thine to maintain it the robbers then advanced to the coach but i had no sooner saluted them than god made them change their design having pushed off one another as it were to hinder each of them from doing any harm they respectfully saluted me and with an air of compassion unusual to such sorts of persons retired i was immediately struck to the heart with a full and clear conviction that it was a stroke of thy right hand who had other designs over me than to suffer me to die by the hands of robbers
it is thy sovereign power which takes away their all from thy devoted lovers and destroys their lives with all that is of self without pity or sparing anything the muleteer seeing me attended only with two young women though he might treat me as he would perhaps expecting to draw money from me instead of taking me to the inn he brought me to a mill in which there was a woman there was but one single room with several beds in it in which the millers and muleteers lay together in that chamber they forced me to stay i told the muleteer i was not a person to lie in such a place and wanted to oblige him to take me to the inn nothing of it would he do i was constrained to go out on foot at ten o'clock at night carrying a part of my clothes and to go a good way more than a quarter of a league in the dark in a strange place not knowing the way crossing one end of the wood infested with robbers to endeavor to get to the inn that fellow seeing us go off from the place where he had wanted to make me lodge put it after us in a very abusive manner i bore my humiliation cheerfully but not without feeling it but the will of god and my resignation to it render it everything easy to me we were well received at the inn and the good people there did the best in their power for our recovery from the fatigue we had undergone they assure us the place we had left was very dangerous next morning we were obliged to return on foot to the carriage for that man would not bring it to us on the contrary he gave us a shower of fresh insults to consummate his base behavior he sold me to the post whereby i was forced to go the rest of the way in a post-chaise instead of a carriage in this equipage i arrived at alexandria a frontier town subject to spain on the side of the melanese our driver took us according to their custom to the post-house i was exceedingly astonished when i saw the landlady coming out not to receive him but to oppose his entrance she had heard there were women in the chaise and taking us for a different sort of women from what we were she protested against our coming in on the other hand the driver was determined to force his entrance in spite of her their dispute rose to such a high that a great number of the officers of the garrison with the mob gathered at the noise who were surprised at the odd humor of the woman in refusing to lodge us with earnestness i entreated the post to take us to some other house but he would not so obstinately was he bent on carrying his point he assured the landlady 
we were persons of honor and piety too the marks whereof he had seen at last by force of pressing entreaties he obliged her to come to see us as soon as she had looked at us she acted as the robbers had done she relented at once and admitted us no sooner had i alighted from the chaise than she said go shut yourselves up in that chamber hard by and do not stare that my son may not know you are here as soon as he knows it he will kill you she said it with so much force as did also the servant-maid that if death had not so many charms for me i should have been ready to die with fear the two poor girls with me were under frightful apprehensions when they stared or came to open the door they thought they were coming to kill them in short they continued in a dreadful suspense between life and death till next day when we learned that the young man had sworn to kill any woman who lodged at the house a few days before an event had fallen out which had like to have ruined him a woman of a bad life having there privately murdered a man in some esteem that had cost the house a heavy fine and he was afraid of any more such persons coming not without reason End of chapter 17 Athens, May of 2009